This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. At Interactive Brokers, you get access a vast selection of global fixed income securities in their Interactive Brokers bond marketplace. Search their deep availability of over 1 million bonds globally and use IBKR's bond search tool to compare available yields against those of other brokers. IBKR has no markups or built-in spreads and low, fully transparent commissions on bonds. IBKR, they display the, the highest bids and the lowest offers received from the electronic venues they access. In addition, clients can interact with each other by placing bids and offers online to execute their trades. Learn why Benzinga rated Interactive Brokers their best online broker for bonds for two consecutive years. Interactive Brokers Bond Marketplace is just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Learn more at ibkr.com slash bonds. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. A little shakeup in the AI suite, looking back to look ahead. And what's in store for 2024? We got a holiday shortened week due to Thanksgiving. Happy holiday. And lots more. All this and much more on episode number 844 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Andrew Horowitz here, and welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast, where we cover all sorts of topics and discuss things that are important to you with regard to finance and money and, and, and really getting yourself set for that future security, that independence that you only get when you, you don't have to worry about your money because you have that sense of feel-good security that you are going to be taken care of. And that's what we do because we know that nobody is going to take care of you better than you. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you don't do it for yourself, who else is going to do it for you? That's the question you have to ask. And that's the question we answer each and every week. And this week is no different. You know, one of the things that we've done each and every year and sometimes many times during the year is do these various webinars. A lot of time we do them for our clients. We want to make sure they understand where we're situated, even though we have a good amount of of, of, of letters, notes, uh, updates, private blogs, client portals, all this good stuff is available to our clients. But sometimes what we do is we want to get them together and say, you know what, let's talk about this. Let's answer some questions that you have. And what we did the la last week or the week before is put on some client seminars, some non-client seminars, the webinars we talked about. And I, uh, many of you have written to me saying, oh, I was signed up, you know, I wanted to come. 
but I couldn't. So what I decided to do, and I think we did this two years ago. I don't think we did it last year, but anyway, what I decided to do was spend some time putting together the actual audio stream from that event and give it to you here because what better place for you to get that dose of financial information that we provided than on the Discipline Investor Podcast, right? So that's what's going to be available to you right here today. Um, there's a lot of things we could be talking about into this very short week because Thursday, of course, we know that um, we had Thanksgiving. And when we look back, we say, well, Friday was nothing, right? Friday was low volume. It closed at 1, one o'clock in the afternoon. And, and for all intents and purposes, Nobody worked anyway on Friday, right? We all we all ate too much on Thanksgiving. Hopefully you enjoyed yours. And we then rested on on Friday, watched some ball, um, and and spent time with the with, with the families. That's that's what I did. And what's really interesting is that we're now getting into that season where first, yeah, everybody is legally able to put up their Christmas lights. But secondly, more importantly, I think. The idea that we are in the seasonality um, where bullish sentiment really reigns. Now, whether or not that comes true or not is not the point, but there is a seasonality. What I mean by that is we have to at least understand what we're dealing with before we enter into the next, um, I guess, month and maybe five weeks of the year, which could be disrupted for a lot of different reasons, as we know about. And some of the things we'll talk about we did talk about in the webinar, which you'll you'll hear in a moment. But the, the fact is that we are in this seasonally bullish time period, especially with the fact that the year has been bullish overall. A couple of areas of bearishness, a couple of areas of pullbacks. We just saw, I think, two 10% pullbacks this year. Didn't last very long. We're short. We're, we're sharp. And then, and then turned around on a dime. And what's happening right now is that we are starting to enter into this sweet spot. I mentioned this in October. I said towards the second week of October, we are here now. And we had to wait about two weeks till everything just kicked off and really started moving very significantly. We talked to Tom McClellan a couple of weeks ago. We talked about just this circumstance of what's going on. Even Frank Curzio last week, we had a little bit to say about that. So if you haven't listened to those episodes I uh, highly recommend you go back and listen to them right now. So uh, because this is a long webinar, I think we'll get right to it and uh, give it to you uninterrupted. There is a Q&A at the end that a lot of people ask questions. And we took some of the material that we were talking about and just put it out right to there to the Q&A. So it's something you really want to listen to and make sure that you spend time doing. Uh, a little business I want to get to here. I want to talk about interactive brokers just one more time before we get to the actual replay of the webinar. And I want to mention because it's it's important to understand all the different things that interactive brokers can do. At the top, we talked about you know their their bond marketplace, and I want to talk about right now is their margin loan rates because they're they come in at five point eight three percent to six point eight three percent, and they're rated the lowest margin fees by Stockbroker.com. And as a client, you can also earn extra income by lending your fully paid shares of stock. So what you can do is, if you're smart, you could join Interactive Brokers clients from over 200 countries around the world, territories, to invest in stocks and options, 
futures, bonds, all this globally. It's not constrained. Minimize your cost to maximize your returns. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare. So what I'm going to do right now is we're going to hook up, get the magic of uh, replay available, and just going to, going, to, going to push in the webinar that we had, the Horowitz Company webinar for uh, looking, um, looking back to look forward and what's in store for 2024, uh, unabridged, and then we'll just close it out from there. So take a listen to this, and then uh, we'll come back next week with some more great material. Hopefully you'll enjoy this and get a lot out of it. And welcome everybody to the Horowitz and Company webinar for November 2023. I'm Andrew Horowitz and thanks for joining me today. Hopefully everybody can hear me pretty well. Uh, we're gonna talk about a variety of things today and, and I have some things that I think are, are really important to, to discuss with you and to get with um, some, some, some in-depth discussion, but yet some of the things we're gonna kind of gloss over because it's just not enough time to talk about everything. Obviously, you listen on the podcast each and every week, The Disciplined Investor, as well as you listen to DH Unplugged. So thank you for that. We're going to uh, have the opportunity today to go through a lot of different things. We're going to have the opportunity to discuss what's in store for 2024. Also, look back at what happened with 2023. And more importantly, we're going to have the opportunity to ask any questions. You have the opportunity to ask any questions that you want of me. We'll spend some time and leave some time at the end to do that as well. So uh, with that, we're going to uh, start start the discussion today, I think, with um, an overview, an overview of, of really where we are in terms of um, the 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 outlook, the look back, what's happening. Many of you know, there's a lot of headwinds, a lot of things that are going on. And um, that really hasn't stopped the markets too much. And when you see that kind of a situation that is going on, where you see that there is a significant amount of, um, you know, overall, I would say, uh, concern, but yet at the same time, you don't see the markets really reacting at all very significantly. Well, that tells you something. These are the things you need to kind of keep your antennas up on and say, well, maybe the markets are wrong, maybe the market's right, but maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right. And use some really good tools to figure out where you are. Well, we're going to discuss some of the things and really get to the the, the nitty gritty of, of what it all means in a minute. Before we do so, we got to talk about the, the of course, the, uh, the, the important areas of um, disclosures. Uh, of course, that anything we talk about today is uh, involved in investing. And investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results at all. And uh, of course, you could lose capital when you invest. The idea is, you know, looking at the long term, but realizing that there are risks involved. So with that, let's talk about some things, right? Let's talk about the outline. Number one, what's driving the markets? What do we have to look at? Obviously, we know that the Federal Reserve is a big part of this overall situation. Jay Powell, there he is, you know, saying, hey, we're going to keep rates higher for longer. And when we look at what's going on here and we see what is happening, we know that he's been be, been very restrictive in terms of rates. Um, we've looked at the treasury yields. We looked at mortgages. We know that things have changed all, overall. We'll look at all that. Look at housing affordability as well. Um, you know, we went from a time of what we call TINA, which where we had no other, other alternative, right? There is no alternative to investing. We can't invest in cash. What we have to do is we have to go out and we have to find uh, a place like risk assets to get any kind of yield. Since savers were punished for years 
And now all of a sudden there's a change where savers are actually in the driver's seat because we call it Tara. Tara is there are reasonable alternatives and cash. There are places to invest where people can actually earn a good yield, 5%. I mean, just two, three years ago, we were like itching for a quarter percent in our bank accounts. And now here we are in 2023 at the end saying, you know what, we can get 5% on our money risk-free, pretty good. I think we also have to bring into discussion the political climate, right? You know, here and abroad, what is going on around the world is a very difficult situation. And then we need to, 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 to really recognize that with the economy right now, where we are, a lot of the things that we saw over the last several years was all stimulus-based. We saw that there was a significant amount of, of overall, I would say, uh, benefit to the economy due to political niceties. Right. We saw things like uh, student loan debt and mortgage interest payments and mortgage payment deferrals. We saw the stimulus that was coming in with COVID, post-COVID, after COVID, increasing post-post after increasing post-COVID. COVID. And, you know, we saw the stimulus running on, uh, you know, steroids for some time. And what happened is that's kind of stopping now. And that's a big problem. Consumer is tapped out. We saw some numbers out of Target today. We saw some things out of the various, um, you know, Home Depot, the retailers. But yet retail sales overall are still slumping a bit. And I think we have to talk about what's going on looking forward, right? The, the potential rate cuts for 2024 that everybody's all excited about, the bumpiness in the market, the overbought circumstance that we're seeing that has come in into uh, a seasonably good time. It is that time of year. It is a happy time for markets. It is a happy time for overall, um, you know, for the idea for people to think that, you know, the end of the year Santa Claus rally could happen. So that's where we are right now. And um, I think we have to look at some of the opportunities that we have right now in alternative places to invest, to ensure that we have a diversified approach to our investments. So that's kind of interesting. We're going to talk about all of our strategies today as well. And uh, we have multiple strategies. We have our global allocations and how we line those up. That's for people with about $500,000 or more that want to be diversified on a global basis, utilizing ETFs, mutual funds, the best managers that are out there where we can get you that diversification on what we call the efficient frontier. Finding those assets that correlate and uncorrelated will get us a smoother return over time without the bumpiness, depending on your risk tolerance level and your time horizon. So all that going into play right there is really important. Then we have our Investology, which is like our baby global allocations, right? $10,000 minimum, a uh, little bit different service process. And, and when we look at that, what we see is that those kinds of, um, those portfolios are meant to be for your long haul. And then finally, we have our TDI managed growth strategy, which is, I would say, an uncorrelated asset to a degree. We have um, core e equity exposure in there that we use a very strict and stringent filtering scoring process quanta funda techna and then from there what we do is we hedge around it we look for opportunities around it. as a matter of fact we put a hedge on this afternoon after we saw pretty much the uh our, our various technical indicators pop and say whoa we are overdone overheated on the upside and we put that on, on uh, midday and that was a pretty good so far so good uh, we also took off a long bond exposure today. So we'll do that, and then we'll finish it up with some Q&A. All right, so let's talk about the Federal Reserve. You know, if you listen to my podcast for any length of time, you know the Federal Reserve is a, a, a driving force in the markets, whether we like it or not. I think they need to shut up. I mean, shut up. 
already is really what I've said a hundred times. But the economy, truthfully, is not reacting as intended. The, the Fed is, is hoped that they could increase interest rates. What they're going to do is they're going to raise interest rates. They're going to make a restrictive environment. They're going to curtail liquidity. They're going to pull back on their bond buying. And that is going to magically slow down the consumer from buying. That hasn't happened. Okay, fine. What has happened, though, is a slowdown that's very insignificant that could build. We're seeing already that PPI and CPI start to slow, the inflation numbers and wholesale numbers over the last few days. The first time we've seen it in a while, and that market rally that we saw yesterday was pretty substantial. Inflation's not really slowing down as fast as was planned, though, and that's why the Fed has been out in force. We've seen uh, speaker after speaker from the Fed come out and talk about how, you know what, they don't think they're done yet. Markets keep reacting to and fro, back and forth, up and down with the belief that, you know what, still, it's better than it was. We're not at a 9% inflation rate. We're only at 4%, 3.9% on our way down. The problem is that those numbers are very bumpy. We've seen this before. Historically, you look back at any inflationary times in history, and it's not a straight line in one direction or the other. In fact, usually inflation picks up pretty fast, but slows down on a really bumpy staircase step movement on the way back. Uh, GDP is pretty hot, 4.9. Unemployment rate remains elevated, 3.9% overall unemployment rate. You know, we're not seeing a lot of employers really kicking people out of this at this point. And, and, and again, we've talked about this. The consumer remains strong. People are getting to the point where they're running out of money, and what they're doing is they're right now actually increasing their credit and saying, I'm going to spend no matter what. The hell with it. Be damned what my bank account looks like. The economic objective of the Fed, though, is this Goldilocks situation where they want it not too hot, not too cold. They want to make sure that they have the opportunity for a soft landing. All this garbage they throw at us. The fact is that what's happening now is the, the pain is being felt much differently dependent on what economic strata and socially socioeconomic um, area that you are per personally in. At the top end, if we kind of look at the top with the ceiling of unlimitedness up to the sky of, of wealth, they're not really hurting right now. They're paying for cash. They're doing what they want, doing what they've always done. They don't need to necessarily borrow unless they want to leverage something for a maybe a business. But generally speaking, the, the wealth effect has really benefited them over the last number of years, particularly into this year. They're making more money on their cash, and they're doing just fine in the stocks and the markets. The businesses are flourishing. Now we get to the next strata, what we're talking about is the middle class. Well, they're, you know, not doing as well. What happens with them is they do borrow to buy homes and things of that nature. Housing prices really haven't come down that much. And, and the, the cost of borrowing is very significant. You know, we went from 2%, 3%, up to 8% on a 30-year mortgage. Very significant differential, and that's a big problem. Um, and, and the bigger problem we have right now is the lowest strata of of economic uh wealth and prosperity those people are, are getting hit at the pay at the pumps and the insurance costs housing costs rental costs food costs inflation it's a real problem that level is the heart and soul of the u.s economy and don't forget that the middle class is big the the upper class and wealthy are are gigantic but in the in the totality of what really impacts the economy themselves the mass of people are congregate and, 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 and are held inside the lower third, let's say. Well, further down, I'm talking about just a general picture here, not exact numbers.
So it's a problem. And when we see that um, interest rates probably likely to be on pause for a while and then seeing that there's there's a possibility of a rate uh, hike coming up maybe in, in January and then there's a lot of talk about cuts in mid-2024. That's kind of what's going on. And, and the thing is that it, it's a, the problem is that right now that they, we have so much debt outstanding. We've turned into a country that has funded itself on debt. Nobody goes out and individually buys a house for cash, right, that they save up for for 15 years. No, you need a house now. And what you do is maybe you rent, but what you probably do is you go and get a mortgage and you pay it off over time. Well, the government decided that was a good thing for them to do also. Instead of using all the tax receipts and income they have from various sources, they're going to borrow and borrow big. I mean big. And what happened was that now we're in a situation where that debt service is a very difficult thing to pay off. The cost of that capital and in the form of debt has been tripled over the last year and a half or so. And that is going to mean that there's going to be a real problem. The problem is a conundrum for the administrations that are coming in on how they're going to pay this stuff down. And they keep on borrowing and, and adding more, and the, and the Fed is taking out liquidity. Big problem. So what we have is a, a runoff of a balance sheet of the Fed right now at about $8 trillion down, uh, down from um, you know where it was uh, very slightly. But the quantitative tightening process is going to be a problem. And what the Fed is doing is, you know, look at look at here. You know, what we, we see here is um, th this situation where the Fed has a few choices, right? And what are they going to do? Well, what they can do is they're going to look at um, things like, well, our gross domestic product is 4.9%, pretty good, up from 4.2. They want that down. They will need that to move down. The unemployment rate, 39 a little bit better than 3.6 where it was, but okay. The inflation rate, a big issue right here, 4.10. Okay, much better than 6.3. That's awesome. But the fact is our target is 2%. And that target being 2% is a big issue because we haven't been in the 4% range for years and decades. And the same thing here. This came in pretty pretty short today. So that was a good, that was a good news. That was definitely good news. So where are we? Well, when we look at where we are right now, we have to take the, the idea that um, we look at a market positive and market negative situation. Right now, where we are is pretty simple, right? We're in this range right here of what it looks like all the way through December 2024. The probabilities are um, that, that we're going to stay pretty much where we are there up until about June of 2024. That's where everybody's thinking that things are going to change. And when things are going to change is there's a 40% chance of a cut. And then we have a 33% chance, even a cut again, a quarter, quarter, quarter. And then even in December 18. So we're talking about maybe three cuts, maybe four, but three cuts probably of 75 basis points starting in June to the end of the year 2024. Why does that happen? Well, what happens is it's, it's, it's very simple. The economy is going to slow down. That's the only reason they're going to do cuts is the economy is going to slow down. So the question is, do we want the economy to slow down? No, we don't want the economy to slow down. But yet at the same time, we, you know, when we look at this, we don't want rates going higher either. There's a big conundrum going on right here. The Fed, this we talked about a year ago, and I want to repeat this and talk about this because I think it's really important. He said, without Powell, uh, Chairman Powell, without price stability, the economy does not work for anyone. 
The burdens of high inflation fall heaviest on those who are least able to bear them. And that's what we talked about, about the multiple strata of, of socioeconomic ceilings that are out there. And the fact is that we're seeing that there is this bifurcation or maybe trifurcation, if there's such a thing, of where people are in terms of their, their financials. So the things that we're looking at right now for our clients are, okay, well, what is the Fed going to do and how are they going to accomplish what they are going to do? And what does that mean to our investments? When we set up our portfolios across the board, we're looking at these kinds of things very in-depthly. He talked about higher interest rates, slow growth, and softer labor market conditions were also bringing down inflation, but they're going to bring some pain to households. We don't want to be those households. Obviously, some don't have a choice. We do. You do. You can make sure you're aware, you're watching, you're looking at what exactly is going on, and you're understanding that the portfolio needs to be structured in a way that covers a lot of different contingencies over the next year or two. I think there's some great opportunities. I got to tell you something. Seriously, there's some great opportunities out there. There's some landmines as well. I think if we can find a balance between walking around the landmines and finding the opportunities, not the easiest thing in the world, but there's a, there's a great um, chance for success. You know, we, we are set up for a softer dollar. We're set up for a little bit of a pause in interest rates, nothing crazy. We're set up to be, um, I would say, uh, growthy, but yet value oriented. We'll talk about that in a second. And looking at those areas, those tangential areas that really will benefit from that. If you're not doing that with your portfolio at this point, you really need to start thinking about it because this is a time, especially historically, we have seen when a Fed stops raising interest rates, there's a reason why they do it. And while initially there's a big response to the positive, like we saw yesterday with a huge move on, on uh, small caps of 5.5%, Real estate up 5%. The KRE bank index, uh, regional banks up 7.5%. That's great. Ah, big relief, right? I'm thrilled. This is great. Start of another rally. We had Tom McClellan on last week. We talked, or two weeks ago, we talked about the, the thrust uh, indicator and what's going on there and the change of the advanced decline line, all that. Okay, that's great. But again, what is the reason why the Fed is starting to change? Well, it's because the economy is getting soft. One of the things that we, I think we've looked at before and I've talked about, we talk about with our clients a lot. And for those of you uh, on here that are, that are, um, are not clients yet, hopefully will become clients and it's very easy to do so. You just go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com, you click on the contact us and you say, hey, Andrew, let's set a meeting and talk. Very simple. Those of you that have been listening to me for years, you know, I'm an easygoing guy. I'm just trying to help you. So, just do that. Make it, make it, you know, what, what's the worst that's going to happen? We spend a little time talking and then from there, it doesn't work out. There's no change that you need. Maybe you set up just right. Fact of the matter is we've helped so many people in these kinds of times of years when I really reach out and say, hey, we're available to help out, to talk, to spend some time. And, and I think this is uh, something that you should take advantage, uh, you know, take advantage of. There's no reason why not to. Getting back to the charts here on the screen right now, but let's talk about this, right? So what we have is a normal yield curve right here. It's a normal yield curve. Um, and this yield curve is what we saw back in 2021. The wonkiness, what we have now is uh, this yield curve here, which is you know, pretty much opposite. This is what you want a yield curve to, this is healthy, this is healthy. This is, this is not healthy up here, no, no, no. Nope, 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 not healthy. Nope, 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 nope. 
The healthy yield curve starts out the low, it ends up a little high, it does a little bit of an S-curve kind of move, and that's fine. This is an inverted, this is an inverted S-curve, this is just an inverted S-curve. And what we're seeing, if you look to the right side of this chart, is that we are at the two-year, 10-year spread, which the, the Fed looks at, but they say they're really more concerned with the, um, the, 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 the idea that the three-month and 10-year, and that's still, if you look at it, right, three-month, and 10 year, 10 year, three month, it's higher. So it's still inverted to that point as well. This causes stress on banks. Banks don't want to lend, their profitability is down and it causes a problem because now all of a sudden there's a big change in the financial conditions, the tightness of the markets. That is something the Fed wants to do. Problem is, this is also a precursor to a recession. The longer this goes on, I gotta tell you something, this has been going on for a while already. So big problem. This is interesting, the mortgage rates in the housing market, I think this is pretty fascinating. Affordability is the worst we've seen in more than like two decades at this point. The fact is that new home sales are still on the rise, but you know, our 30-year mortgage rates are what, near 8% right now, seven and a half to 8%, and it's highest in more than, again, 20 years. Inventory, which is the one fascinating thing. So what has happened is that all these millennials who have promised to get out of their parents' basements, who said, you know what, it's time for us to move on, decided, okay, we are going to finally do it. And when they did it, they realized that there wasn't a lot of inventory. And we're going to show you some charts in a second about the inventory. New home starts building the permits are starting to decrease a little bit. Existing home inventory um, has been declining since 2007, which is really a pretty fascinating situation. Mo most of the owners that are in their homes right now are very, very content to live um, on their 3% mortgages. Why move? And I'm going to have to give it up and then sell the house, maybe make some money, go a horizontal move into a house that's the same price as what I'm selling it at, and then maybe have to mortgage more. And when I mortgage more, now I'm going to be paying 8%. Ah, not, not so good. And the other thing that's a real problem, this is going to be showing up very soon. I've seen this already with clients, that they have home equity lines of credit, HELOCs and home equity loans, but more importantly, the home equity line of credits, that start out, let's say, at 3% on an adjustable basis. They took money out of their house. They used it to do, I don't know, upgrades, travel, health issues, whatever it is. And now that's at 7.5%. Now their debt, uh, uh, the burden of that debt, of the repayment of that debt is much different than they realized. And they weren't fast enough, unfortunately, to get the rate down and lock in. What I mentioned earlier is the fascinating part of what's going on right now is that we have this. That since 2007, the housing market, the inventories have been dropping significantly. That's a really interesting scenario because what has happened is, even though inventory has just come up a little bit at the end here, we see less houses. Those 4 million houses, those are occupied. Those are not available. They're not on the market. They're not for sale. And now all these people that want to buy and, and it's causing prices to remain high. Again, this we've seen this move up. We've seen this kind of over time, but still, I mean, look at this block from 2019 to 2020. We haven't seen inventory really on the rise for some time. That is causing a problem for housing prices and a real thorn in the side of the Fed that wants to try to bring down pricing affordability uh, for homes, and, and that's a problem. This is a really great chart. The National Association of Realtors, NAR, um, looks at the housing affordability index. Is it easier, is it cheaper, is it better to buy or rent at any given time of the cycle? This is one of the worst times in terms of affordability to own a home. 
renting pays. What? You say, huh? Renting pays? Yes. Renting pays. It's a better deal right now because the cost of mortgages, the cost of housing, the cost of all the things that go into it, taxes, you name it, it's much better to rent. Now, that's not in every single place around the country, but generally speaking, when we take the, the, the culmination of the costs with interest rates, it's a better deal to rent, even though rents are ridiculous. Just shows you how much more it is to actually buy a house. That's a problem. When you combine this and this, it's a problem. You gotta be really careful on where you are in terms of real estate right now. And we talked about this, right? This idea that uh, cash is a viable alternative. So we get, um, you know, 5% and 4.5% on money markets. We got treasuries at 5.4. We've been rolling treasuries for clients at, you know, 5 to 5.5%, very short-term maturity, laddering them up, excess cash you have in the bank, million dollars, $500,000, $250,000, opening up separate accounts just for treasuries and cash and making tons of income and yield for them. Treasuries, U.S. treasuries primarily or U.S. treasury-backed money markets, it has been a really, it's been, it's been a godsend for a lot of people because now all of a sudden they're earning nothing in their banks to speak of. They, they, we, we have $500,000 in an account that they wanted to keep for whatever reason in cash and now we're making $25,000 a year income like that. Thank you, interest rate increases. Thank you, inflation. Not really, but that's where we get. We get to a situation where we have this um, two-sided situation where on one side, well, it's terrible that the rates are up. On the other side, well, it's great that rates are up. So no longer we're, we're, we have people that are being forced above their risk tolerance that they have to reach for yield, and that's a really good thing as well. Um, the short end of the yield curve is the most attractive on a risk-reward standpoint. That's what we're doing in our portfolios. We're buying up the um, short-term and kind of got rid of many of the long-term. In our TDI managed growth strategy, we just sold today, we did buy the long bond and took that nice move down from when it peaked two weeks ago, three weeks ago to where it was today, sold it for a decent profit. We all see the longer end of the, of the uh, municipal bond uh, debt uh, curve very attractive for higher income brackets. And you'll see there's a really interesting chart we'll bring up here. Um, this chart shows us, I'll bring up my handy dandy highlighter again. You know, the current treasury money markets are 5.07%. Uh, money markets are 5.26. CDs, three months, 5.51. Not bad. Pretty good, as a matter of fact. Um, you look all the way to the right here, and you see that 7.58% with regard to a, you know, 37% tax bracket if you're in that high tax bracket. And if you're, in fact, uh, uh, looking for... Uh, yield is, is pretty attractive on a AAA basis. Not, not a big part of our portfolios, but it's something that you need to know about. All right, what about the climate, the political climate? Do we even want to get into this discussion? Do we really want to even deal with it? No, but we have to. We have to talk about this because what has happened with the political environment, the, the, the two-headed llama of the, of, the, of the Republicans and the Democrats, that one's pulling this way, one's pulling that way, nothing's getting done. To a degree, that's actually good news. When we see that Congress is, is polarized as much as it is and frozen, we see that a lot of benefits happen in the market. As a matter of fact, there are some mutual fund um, and other strategies that actually invest only when Congress is out of session and will get out of the market when they're in session. 
But what we have still is the great divide, right? We have Trump and Biden, which is, I can't believe I'm saying that, probably going to be the uh, front runners, uh, unless something weird happens right now in jail time or something. But we have geopolitical turmoil. A lot of people have been asking, why would I invest if I see that there's all this problem in Russia and Ukraine? And we see that the flare-ups in Taiwan with China, and we see what's going on in, in the Middle East, this horrible situation that may spread and get worse. Maybe I want to invest in military defense stocks. Maybe I want to be involved in you know, certain areas around the world that are not going to be as um, impacted. But won't everything be impacted? Well, yes and no. The, the, the fact is these are regionalized right now. We can't, it's very difficult to start thinking about the what ifs and expansion. We have to really kind of focus on what we know. We know is everything's regionalized right now. We know there is actually wartime dividend benefits to our economy, especially as we're supplying many of these places with all sorts of, you know, medical aid and, 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 and defense, defensive products and weaponry. And the, the truth is this, there is actually a, a wartime dividend involved in this for us, as crazy as that sounds and as awful as that sounds. Uh, one of the things that we've seen over the years is, you know, countries would try to boost their economy by picking on other places and starting wars. We've seen that. The market impact also can be very good for commodities, oil and gas, things of that, that nature. Um, I am not all for this. It's a terrible situation. Could we be pulled in? Could it cause a problem? Yes, it could. Is it going to? That is not something we can really uh, definitively say right now. But what we can do is start doing some planning by having some alternative investments, by investing in things that are outside the range of just equities, by looking at oil, gas, looking at natural resources, looking at uh, defense, looking at um, uh, uh, better valuation stocks, looking at, for example, uh, precious metals. So a lot of different things we can look at there. The other hot button issues that we have right now is a political in the political climate. Clearly, we know we've been talking about this at nausea forever is the idea of the cost of living, information wars, AIs and bots. We have propaganda. We have misinformation. We have a world that we don't believe what is true is true because we don't know what's true. And it's a probably fake news anyway. It all started back with a, a simple line of alternative facts by Kellyanne Conway and the and added to that should not started there. But that was the the point I saw, where we saw that social media, which I don't know who gave the idea of anybody in the world, the ability to speak whatever they want at any given time if they want, and not monitor whether there's any truth to it at all or not. And then added the whole idea of alternative facts and fake news. And now we don't know what's true or not. You know what I'm talking about. Social media has been a big problem when it comes to, uh, I think, these divides and all that. It's going to continue. But when we look at what's going on in 2024 and five and probably the next 10 years out, cost of living is probably number one. It's clearly on the board. There's been a lot of different um, polls done, and we just know that. I mean, cost of living is a big issue. Natural disaster, weather, big issue. Um, climate change, uh, a big concern. I don't know what that's going to play out. Um, climate change adaption is a big thing. Natural resource crisis. That's what everybody's thinking of right now. Right, social co cohesion and, and polarization. They think that's going to be fixed to a degree. Um, Geoeconomic uh, um, kind of confrontation is going to lay off for a while. So it's climate change, climate change, China, climate change. I'm not a buyer of that, just to let you know. All right. So economic risk, inflation, purchasing power eroding over time. Um, the the CARES Act, the um, PPP, economic retention, uh, the employee retention credit, ERC. Um, all that stuff is, is changing dramatically. Consumer confidence is just, you know, waning. Um, and and um, 
We have a restrictive Fed policy that's going to be in place for a long time. Is it going to be a hard or soft landing? I don't know. Does it really matter? What matters is earnings. Earnings are the major issue that's going on right now. Margin compression is a big issue. You want us to be on the right side of that, and that is something we really focused it on, on the TDI managed growth strategy. Right? I've talked about that, that different kind of strategy. We see a, a reduction in the overall amount of securities that are being added. We see that we're being much more selective overall um, due to this, and we're seeing it's because margin is, in fact, uh, compressing a bit. So where are we when we look out, okay? Well, outlook uh, on, on 2024 and beyond, particularly with our global allocations and investology, I would say defensively optimistic. You know, we wanna be in certain areas, we wanna be in stocks. Yes, we wanna be in areas because uh, th that are going to benefit from the ongoing opportunity of long-term ownership of the best companies in the world. There's no question about that. We're not investing for today. Let's let's just get this straight. We're not investing for today. We're investing for next week, next year, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And you know what? If you would have invested 20 years ago, you'd be a lot wealthier than you are today if you had invested. This is just simple math. And the fact is that you want to start investing today. I don't care what all these things are and all that because you want to be invested and in there. You cannot win the game if you don't play the game. You cannot win the game if you don't play the game. You need to be on the court, not in the stands. The truth is we talked about this a hundred times. And if you're not involved in the markets right now, whatever that markets means, right? It doesn't have to be all the way in. We could use our one foot in, one foot out kind of concept to get you into the, into the play. But the truth is you need to be at least willing to. And if you're not, because you're too scared, you're always going to be in the same place that you are today. And that's not where you want to be. Many of you have portfolios that you're just not happy with because you don't get a lot of attention. There's not a lot of thought put into it. There was just things either that were done over the years and spread out, or in fact, somebody just pushed you into something without you really understanding it. Well, here's what we're going to be doing, right? Stocks, bigger is better. Large cap versus small cap moving forward over the next year or so. Domestic over international. We still like international and we like developed international, particularly if the dollar is going to fall. And that is one of our projections that we're looking at. And we've been looking at that for a while. And it's been kind of um, holding up pretty well, particularly over the yen. Uh, Europe is Euro is starting to, to turn a little bit. And I think that with um, the stabilization of interest rates here in the U.S., things are going to start turning dramatically, benefiting us. And that's why we saw on a day like yesterday, even today, to a degree, you know, emerging markets and uh, international with a dollar that had been coming down was really a great investment place. That's just one day, but it, it's it's trend is, is developing. Um, we want to be in developed over emerging. Well, that makes sense. But the fact is emerging China is in about 35 percent uh, or so of the emerging markets right now. And, and they're in the doghouse. Will they stay there forever? China has a way of stimulating. And I think that while there is a big housing problem there and there needs to be a washout, the other side of it could be pretty dramatic. Lower valuations over stretched valuations is also something um, that means we want to have a better value for our money. We don't want to overpay for something. You know, if the, if the jacket, if the jacket's on sale, let's buy it. We don't need to pay full price. Fixed income, shorter over longer until they stop their hawkish stance. And uh, commodities, we want to be uh, po possibly looking at a broad-based diversification there. Cape ratio is still high. In other words, a cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio, still a little bit stretched. What else do we got in our global allocations? Alternatives. Very good idea here. Something we, we moved into over the last several years. Different kinds of investments that don't correlate necessarily with the S&P 500, 
the NASDAQ 100, uh, the bond market, it's outside of the realm. How? Well, talk to us, I'll explain it. But the bottom line is we wanna have this as a buffer position in the portfolio. Um, it makes a lot of sense for a portion of the portfolio, depending on your risk, um, the lower risk, you have these buffers, uh, higher risk, not as many. Real estate, this is probably gonna be some long-term pain in commercial, um, but the retail, uh, single family homes and multi-family homes holding steady, 2024 is gonna be a pivotal year. From what I can see, we're going to see a slowdown happening in especially multifamily housing, uh, small portfolio positioning, and you want to keep that small international domestic. And in cash, high yield uh, money markets uh, with treasury backing is pretty smart. Now, we want to be uh, talking about our TDI managed growth strategy. I think the words that come to my mind this year is tactically nimble. And I think that's where we want to be, right? Core positioning, reduction through 2023 on the number of stocks and the totality of our investment position and probably going to continue through 2024. We have a rebalancing happening in about 15 days. Once a quarter, we do uh, a rebalancing. It looks like there's going to be a few less stocks, which means a few less overall um, uh, core equity holding positioning, right? The equity positioning will be lower. Stocks themselves have been performing pretty well against a full index comparison, even though we have less than a full complement of stocks. In other words, we're not 100% equity right now. But if you were to make that and look at that and say, well, these are 100%, well, how does that compare? And um, we want to keep the best stocks. We want to rotate out and we want to rinse and repeat on a continual basis there. Shorting and hedging. Well, I told you we just entered a short position today as a hedge. Market dynamics have been pretty poor. You can hedge for a couple of days and they get your hand, head handed to you. You got to really come in at a very strategic time and, and use the right risk weightings on that. Been a lot of head fakes and, and short squeezes. This, this slosh of liquidity that we've seen has been a real problem. But I think we're getting to the end of some of that because the liquidity slosh keeps getting less and less. Some of these squeezes are going to reduce. Um, reasonable valuations, reasonable valuations and growth is equally important right now. And we want to have a um, higher cash buffer alternative to necessarily a hedge. So we want to keep a higher cash positioning right now. Some hedging, some tactically uh traded positions on the long and short side uh but but it's important i think to be very nimble right now which is what, I, what i'm mentioning tactically nimble thoughts on 2024 i think there's exciting times and big opportunities both on the short long side i think both on the diversified basis why because you know what the, the truth is that a lot of the things that we're seeing right now are these headwinds that are just hard to deal with i mean they're really hard to deal with right the, the idea that we're at war that we may have this old man coming into the presidency or this loudmouth coming into the presidency, or, you know, we may go into a full world war or we have debt that can't be uh, dealt with. And the list goes on, right? People are really feeling the stress. But as you notice, when something breaks, when all of a sudden we have one piece of good news, everybody's like, oh my God, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a silver lining on the clouds. This is a great time because you know what? The wall of worry, which is serious right now, everybody's freaking out, but they really want and understand that they need to be invested for their future. So they may have pulled out this money on the sideline. They got to do something with it. That doesn't mean today, tomorrow, but we, we need to get through the inflationary spike that we have right now. There'll be some good times and benefits from that. We get to get past peak margin compression, which is probably going to be through 2024, but you want to get ahead of it a little bit. That's going to be a good sign. We want to get post a recession, if that's going to happen or not. 
And once we get into it and halfway through it, again, we know that the general times and, and lengths will change and the peak to trough and the economic cycle is always a, a, a dynamic uh, positioning. But yet we want to keep an eye on that over the other side will be good. So I'm trying to reassure you and uh, let you understand that the economic cycle, the investment cycle is here to stay. You can get in and get out and try to market time. That doesn't work so well. Anybody that's done it, you know, that doesn't work so well. But what we do want to have is a situation where we have the opportunity to at least play in the game. Maybe there'll be a time sometime, maybe someday, maybe never, that we're going to have a conflict-free world. I don't know. Probably not. But that would be great. And I mentioned these rolling treasuries is an important issue. Now, can you do me a favor? Could somebody click on, just to test this out, um, can you go to your Q&A button and somebody just say, hello? Uh, just one person. Actually, I got somebody on the chat. There we go. There we go. We got it. I want to make sure that was working. Yeah. Uh, not in the chat. If you want to answer. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. Now we're going to have to delete all these. Okay. <laughs> um, so we'll go through these. We'll go through these. If you do want to answer a question, start loading that up right now. I'll just tell you that. Let me just clean it up. Get all this. Yeah. Can you clear it up? Yeah. Thanks. Um, so if you have a question for me, any question at all, uh, this is the time to do so. And, um, you know, ask away. I'll be happy to, I've got two questions on crypto already. Interesting. Um, I'll talk about that. I did actually have, did you see the, I don't know if you saw the interview with me and uh, th this, <laughs> this week, they called me um, an interview with a, uh, with, with, with a investment advisor, um, uh, Paul Barron, and uh, somehow this this conversation got into a boomer discussion, and it was really kind of weird, but it's kind of funny. Um, the uh, oh, by the way, before we answer all these questions, um, let me get over here. What? Hold it. There we go. Uh, one of the really exciting things that are happening starting January first, official launch of all new clients. You want to see a great place to view your investments, performance, uh, slice and dice through dashboards, everything in your portfolio. Now, this is primarily for our global allocation clients. We may expand it one day to others, but right now it's for our global allocation clients. You want to see an unbelievable way to see your portfolio from a performance standpoint, from a transactional standpoint, a place where all the uh, statements are stored. You can look at uh, asset allocation, sector allocation, um, you know, time-based Really cool. This portfolio uh, portal that we have, the portfolio, the portal uh, for horrors of company clients. When you become a client, uh, something you should definitely take a look at. We did an overview of it yesterday. Everybody was wowed. So when you become a client, or if you're a client, if you haven't seen it yet, um, I would highly encourage you to check that out. And uh, again, just go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com and uh, you can simply just click on the Ask Andrew or just go to the Contact Me. Listen, I'm here for you. Seriously, I'm not kidding. This is, this is important to understand, okay? You've known me for a long time. Maybe it's time just to look at what's going on in your situation. Let's just talk a little bit. And like I said, this, I can't tell you how many people have said, you know what, you're fine. Do your thing. You don't need us. But there are those times that, that maybe uh, we're going to, to need something, a little bit of a tweak, and, and we can help. All right, let's get to some of the questions here. Let's kind of go through that and see what we got here. Um, first question from Rick. He says, any thoughts on crypto in, uh, 2000 and 
24. Actually, the same thing from Chris as well. So I, I had this really interesting conversation and talking about what is going on with crypto. We really saw a 1900 point move again on Bitcoin today. Ethereum was up a bit also. You know, I want to separate the idea of investable crypto from tokens and securitization and all that. I, I want to talk about just two just Bitcoin and Ethereum. We could talk about Solana, we could talk about Dogecoin, you could talk about all this, but I'm just gonna focus on what I call the investables, right? Uh, it seems to me that there is gonna be and has been a major push to get a cash spot ETF through BlackRock, through Fidelity. One of the things that you're seeing the write up recently is because of that. Is it something else? Maybe some of the political issues around the world, is it possible the dollar has been weakening a little bit? Yes, but I think in totality, the reality that we're seeing is that crypto is really bouncing because if in fact Fidelity gets approval by the SEC, who pretty much threw up their hands and said, you know what, I forget it. We're not fighting some of this anymore, right? With the Ripple deal that they had. And they said, okay, we lost, we got our butts kicked. Fine, they want it that bad, let them have it on a cash basis, a spot basis, right? I have no objections to that. If it in fact mirrors, forget about leverage. We're not dealing with that. We're doing just a cash spot Bitcoin ETF the equivalent of owning one stock inside of an ETF, making it easy and off of the various platforms like the crypt, you know, the, if you, you can't use Binance here, but um, using Coinbase or using Robinhood or using whatever else it is. And we just have a simple ETF. This has been really, really good for the crypto complex because if it happens, if Fidelity gets the approval and they put that within their 401ks with some limitations, the, the outcomes could be enormous. The fact is that when we look at the amount of people that could be very easily slipping some money, 1%, 2% of their money into Bitcoin at that point, and not dealing with the exchanges, pretty substantial. And that I think is gaining the backing of uh, crypto in 2024, legitimizes it pretty well. So I hope that answers that. All right, what do you have here? Anonymous. Yeah, Cisco continues to disappoint. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I think this whole AI thing is a bit blown out to a degree. I think it's, it's, it's overdone. I think the idea that, uh, when we have a situation as, uh, anybody gets ex as exuberant as they did, uh, on a flip of a switch and people get that way, right? They get all lathered up over, you know, blockchain or cloud or B2B or pick your point, you know, uh, uh a vaccine, pick your poison what it is, right? Now, the Wagovi and Ozempic and all that. Everybody, oh, you know, the world is going to change forever, maybe. But they get too lathered up too quickly. And Cisco, I think, got into the, caught into the whole cloud-based blah, blah, blah. And uh, really, the, the usage factor of AI right now is pretty big for certain companies. But, you know, you have to wonder just how strong is it really? And uh, what I mean by that is today versus tomorrow. The, the, proof of, the proven nature of AI and what it can actually do is not there yet. It's fun. It's interesting. It, it makes us think and dream the opportunities and, and the problems. And I think that Cisco is just uh, caught in a, in, a, in, in, in a true situation where companies are cutting back a little bit and they're using alternatives and a lot of other companies are winning the contracts. So yeah, is it done? Eh, we'll see. Um, the employment forecast, um, assets, uh, as how do you view the employment forecast in 2024? Um, I, I would think, and I would venture to say that with regard to the, the employment situation, I would, I would venture to, to say that we're going to see a continued rise in unemployment. 
Does it get out of control? It all depends on how restrictive the Fed has been. But it would seem to me that the only thing that really is going to help um, is cost cutting. And it becomes a snowball effect and a, and, and a, and a virtual uh, process that is going to just have to keep going. Whereas as people are laid off, they spend less, they spend less, more people have to be laid off. And that just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes for a while. Um, there's many too many people on the payrolls, as we can see what happened with, for example, Twitter. Elon Musk you know, lays off 75% of the company and it's still running. Piece of crap company, but it's still running, right? We didn't need all those programs, all those people. Do we need all those people working in all those jobs and all those businesses? Maybe not. Um, next question. Uh, this comes from John. Is it a good time to buy bonds in a retirement account? Um, up to a point, depending on how old you are. There's a lot of caveats here, John. A lot of caveats. What bonds? What quality bonds? What duration bonds? How old are you? Um, but yes, there are some opportunities, I think, in in that. I mean, if you can get 5% on a five-year bond right now and you're comfortable with that, it's enough to provide your long-term and it's essentially tax-free, pretty good. Now, if you're 25 years out to retirement, I don't know. I don't think so. Portion of your portfolio, possibly. You want to go high yield? Probably not right now. Credit quality is important, I think, as we're running into the potential for a recession. So something to think about. Um, but bonds do play an important role, but I think short term is where we like to be right now. Shorter term, right? The intermediate, short to intermediate, but really on the shorter side of that. Not ultra short, but short. Uh, David has a question. He says, um, what do you know about digital money and how it would affect our investments? Um, so that's a good question. I mean, that's that's on the back of this conversation of of different than crypto digital assets, I think, right? Digital money. I don't necessarily think that uh, crypto is going to take over. Digital money could, in fact, we saw JP Morgan come out with a JP Morgan coin, uh, the opportunity to utilize some kind of token for payment system, which we see with eBay or, um, you know, you see with Cash App, you see with Venmo. It's, it's a tokenized basis. You know, it's a transactional electronic transaction. I don't see that really impacting the investments very much. I mean, listen, there was a time when we were asking the same exact question of this. Wait a minute. How come I don't own certificates anymore? I got to put my certificates in the brokerage account and they don't give me the certificates. I'm held as just a entry when we used to all have our certificates in our hand. That doesn't happen anymore. So I don't think it's going to be a big impact on our investments. Uh, Joseph asks, any thoughts on the recent rise in the private credit market? I mean, you know what? When you, when you can't find money cheap and you can't find money and you got to go for hard borrowing and otherwise the private equity or private credit is going to be the next place. So that is a concerning factor rather than um, a, 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 a benefit. The private credit market is going to charge a higher rate. And the fact is that this is the impact of an inverted yield curve where people are looking for, I don't want to say hard money, but they're looking for alternatives to get some, some money to spend. Okay. Um, Eric asks, would a spot crypto ETF help or hurt Coinbase? Yeah, this is something we explored with Paul Barron a little bit. Uh, it's hard to tell, but I would think that it would hurt Coinbase. It would make them compress their overall cost factors and trading. Uh, the it, it would help them if they're associated with it from the aspect of, of valuation of the coin itself, if the coin goes up, but it would hurt them from the trading point of view. Point of view. Now, whether it's a wash or not is a different discussion, right? Whether or not there's going to be some usage of the Coinbase technology or the platform or the company for, let's say, uh, 
the the usage of the um the buying and selling and transaction that's something to maybe it's possible too right where are you going to buy it otherwise uh john has a question how is silver and gold precious metals looking for 2024 so if in fact we do get a slowdown in the overall interest rate regime hiking process and if in fact we do see that things just mellow out a little bit and maybe add to that not a much of a reduction in political turmoil gold and silver are poised pretty well I mean, we had a recent high on 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 gold recently and silver was on fire i still think though we're starting to look at the opportunity as gold as oil is coming down in price significantly to start thinking about two things one is oil in fact going to be problematic from a standpoint if there is an economic slowdown on a global basis and we say shipping slowdown plane slowdown transportation slowdown railroad slowdown all this slowdown and delivery slowdown and that's a big problem less people going to work maybe more evs all this goes on is that going to impact the supply demand curve on oil and that is a big problem on the other hand we see the dollar coming down the dollar is in fact uh what oil is priced in and thirdly is the conflict in the Middle East going to cause uh, expand and cause more problems with oil? Those are the, the issues we're looking at. But gold and silver, I think, are, are poised pretty darn well. That's why we own them in our portfolios. Um, Larry has a question. Yeah, uranium. Larry says, can you comment on natural resources? I've done very well with uh, all things coal stocks and uranium. Well, that's recently, Larry. I mean, the, obviously, um, there was a time that we saw many of those stocks like, oh, uh, are they going to be around for long? Um, but yeah, and uranium, I think that is a great play. I've been looking at many of the players in there, the ETF as well. And uranium is something that I was very interested in and, and have been and am interested in. Uh, just looking for an entry point in that. Uh, I think that if cooler heads prevail and nuclear power can start coming back online, there could be a real opportunity here. So I do like that. Um, two more questions here. Quinn says, to the degree you are worried about a market crash in the next six to 12, six months to one year, as a good number of people seem to be, what types of hedges are you recommending to protect, your, uh, to protect against that? We've seen some rolling corrections and some really bad situations. Remember something, a market crash is kind of the end of the process, right? Now, if we're looking at market corrections and drawdowns, those last for a while. You can be just in this horrible situation where it just goes down and down and down. Different than a crash. People are more freaked out about a crash. You know, all of a sudden, this one day, we have this like 8% drop in the markets. And it's hellacious when you have individual stocks dropping 20, 25% all over the place. But I got to tell you something. More than a hedge, be ready to buy those because what we've seen, seriously, if you look at history, I've been doing this a long time. And for a long time, I was like, oh my gosh, the crash, stay away from this. When the crash happens, those things are so beaten down, they, they really have a bounce opportunity. I think that's a real important issue to, to consider. And, and when we look at that, I think what hedges? Well, I think the Qs are really out of control right now. The NASDAQ 100 is off the hook, and that's what we actually put a hedge on today. We're starting to build that, right? Um, I think that when you look at many of the growth stocks and many of the things that, that have the opportunity, like I talked about AI, and when you look at where that is, the hope is there. But when that fades a little bit, it's going to be very difficult. I think that some of the stocks that have been drawn down already have been beaten down to crap. Now, that doesn't mean buy a, a DocuSign or a, 
uh, a Zoom that may never come back because there's so much competition and they had their day in the sun. But we look at some of the banks and the big banks that are really, you know, still making a lot of money and will do so, may have a problem in a recession. But when, in fact, yields start coming down, that yield curve starts straightening out and gets away from that inverted mess that we see right now, in opportunity will be there. So I think you could buy some long-term puts if you really want to uh, be um, adamant about it. Cash is pretty good right now, but have a plan. Quinn, have a plan. If you're going to pull out of the markets to any degree, have a plan of what is going to be that light that says, okay, even though I'm scared out of my mind right now, Markets are down 10% today, and it's been like this three months of hell here. You know what? There's capitulation at hand, and this is where I'm going to start inching in, if nothing else. And if it continues to go down for a while, I'm going to put more money to work. I know that sounds insane to a degree, but think about it for a second. When there's blood in the streets, that is the time. I tell clients, look, when you're pissed off that the portfolio is going down, come by my office and take a rock and throw it through my window. But just before you throw it through the window, do me a favor. When you're at that point of, of greatest anxiety and you're really pissed off and you're worried, tie a check for $100,000 to it and throw it on in. And then we'll get that working for you because that will probably be the time that everybody is at that point of just throwing in the towel. <laughs> That's true. Uh, a couple more, Ashi. A seat, sorry, said, uh, is the um, is the Chinese economy going to be a drag in 2024? I think that it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that we, they have to flush out a lot of things. They've been a drag already. They had some better numbers recently, and they're starting to turn a corner to a degree. They've been a drag for three years. It's, it's like an old oil burner furnace that needs to be restarted and just can't get restarted. You know, you're throwing everything out of it. You're cleaning all the pipes. You're getting the, the burner going. You're throwing a torch on it. You just can't get it done. But right now, I think what's happening is that um, we are seeing that uh, they need to flush out and burn down some of their very bad real estate deals that they did. It's starting to happen. And the other side, that will be good. Is it going to be a drag? I think we've taken already, most of the world has taken alternative routes uh, for where we get our products. But it's not going to be a benefit. I'll tell you that much. Two more questions. We're done. Uh, B says, um, "What are your high low? Um, what are your high low for S and P five hundred for two thousand twenty four? I, I got to tell you, I don't really. I'm not going to play that game. And respectfully, I say that because I can't be right, right?" I mean, I think that if you just take a very simple calculation, you look at a 17 times multiple, you look at where um, you know earnings are supposed to be at 225 to 250, that's your range right there. I don't think we should be at 20 times. I don't think we should be at 4,500. I think that you know in higher interest rates, we're looking at a risk-free rate of return calculation on a forward calculate, calculative uh, measure when we look at um, how to value the stock market. It's absurd where we are right now. That's all. Uh, last question from Anonymous. We know Anonymous. I'm down a lot in TLT. Um, is it the right time to double down? We just went in and went out. Some of that you're never going to get back. The truth is, are we going back to a zero interest rate? And if you do, how much are you going to get that back anyway? Because now inside the portfolio um, are still many of those names that just not coming back. And I don't know. It's possible. Would I double down? No. Would I trade it? Yes. Trade around it. Try to trade around it if you can. It's very difficult. I don't think it's time to double down on that, unless there's something I'm missing here. Last question, what is the probability from Tarun? What is the probability of a recession? What timeline are you looking at and the probability of high? I thought we could have a recession in the second half of this year. 
I don't even know what's going on right now, to be honest with you, in terms of how these numbers could be possibly where they are, except for the fact that there was a lot of excess overall. Um, the I, I guess the, the, the overall, look, the, the overall situation that really occurred was just so much stimulus, so much money padded into and put into the, um, the, the, the markets into, into pockets and all that, that it caused a very serious situation where it overheated the economy to a point that people still have excess money and they're used to spending and they have good jobs and not really a lot of people losing it. We have to see the job situation erode further and liquidity come out of the markets. And I say the markets, I am not talking about the markets themselves. I'm talking about the economy. When that starts to happen, we start moving into recessionary times. Right now we had a 4.9% GDP. That's going to be a hard number to put up from a year from now. So let's call it second half of 2024 is probably going to be when the recession happens, as crazy as it sounds. You know what? Everybody's calling for that for a good reason. It's an easy call because now you have some very difficult levels to compare against. The comparables on a year-over-year -year basis are going to be difficult, and then it's going to start breaking down. So I'll go one further. I'll back it up a month. I'll say, you know what? Second quarter 2024, we're going to start to see a slowdown in the economy, probably in the middle of that. So let's get it really refined. And I'll even say that somewhere about uh, May 2024 is when we're going to start to see this start to come up. Listen, thank you so much for joining me in this webinar. And of course, listening to the Disciplined Investor, DH Unplugged every week, week in and week out. And I also want to thank you for being there for clients. And for those of you that aren't clients, I want to thank you for becoming clients. That's what we're, we're trying to do here is help you make sure that you have the financial security, financial freedom into the future. The independence that you want, that you've always wanted, let's not be scared right now. Now is the time to act. Get in the game. Get off the, 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 the seats. Get into the court. Let's make sure that you become the beneficiary of your own money into the future rather than looking back and saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did nothing. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you again, well, I guess, next week on the podcast. So thanks so much. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.